0: Hi, friends. I'm Renee, and I'm Annem. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Today, we're here to discuss the Star test Queen by Rosheni Chaksi. Ghostbusters 2 and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur Volume 1 by Amy Reeder and Brandon Montclair. Today's episode is going to take us to a place we haven't been in a while, Anna. <laughs> War. two opposite sides of a, of a battlefield.
1: It's almost like West Side Story. Romeo and
0: Juliet. What that death here. I didn't know it was that bad. <laughs> Okay, here we go. <laughs> the Star-Touch Queen by Roshani Choksi is a YA fantasy novel, and it is Roshani Chuxi's debut novel. Anna, would you sum this novel up for us?
1: So it's about a young girl named Maya. She is the daughter of the Raja of a kingdom, and she lives in the harem. Uh, she's not liked by the other people in the harem. She's not liked by the wives there and the mothers. Her mother died when she was very young, and she was born with a horoscope that promises a marriage of death and destruction to her. And therefore, a lot of superstition goes into people disliking her and everything that goes wrong The her and it's her fault. She has decided that her life will be like that forever and she knows she has accepted this and she is very much into books until there comes a time and there is a war and her father decides to use her for politics by marrying her off. But things don't go exactly as planned. And the plan is actually really terrible for her because her father fully expects her to die in the name of the kingdom so that her death can be used as retribution. So it's all a plan and it goes wrong. And she ends up getting married to a mysterious guy that walks into her bedroom just before she has to choose her husband. And this guy is mysterious. She doesn't know him. She doesn't know where he's from. He says that he's from a kingdom called Akram, but she has never heard of it. But she marries him because she doesn't have a lot of choices. And then he takes her away. And she kind of like starts falling in love with him. But he's so mysterious because he won't tell her all the truth because he can't because there is the moon. There is something about the moon that he can't tell her the whole truth about who he is. And where is this kingdom exactly? And then she starts finding out little by little the truth about him, about the kingdom where she's queen of now, and most of all the truth about herself.
0: Is that a fair summary, Renee? That's a fair summary.
1: So what did you think about this book?
0: I didn't read anything about this book before going into it. I didn't read the blurb, I didn't read the summary on Goodreads. You just told me that you liked this author.
1: Well, I published this author. I we She's part of the first contact season from last year. Her story, The Fish Akana's Choice, is also Indian mythology-inspired story about a young girl who has to find her agency. In many ways, it's actually a very similar thread that we find in The Star Touch Queen too.
0: So yeah, that's why I read it. Because you were like, this author is great. So I'm like, okay. It was pretty good. I liked the mystery. I felt kind of dumb for not figuring it out sooner. I'm not going to spoil it here. But there's like a a neat mystery that happens. I really liked the fact that this book is rooted in relationships between women. Even though there's a heterosexual romance and it's really important. It's also mostly about Maya and the relationships that she has with a lot of the women around her. I did not care so much about the resolution of the romance. I wanted more of uh, Maya and her sister, whose name I, I pronounce Gari, but I have no clue if that's correct. A lot of the words in this book, I'm like, I have no fucking clue how to pronounce that. Let's just make something up. I would say Giri. Giri. That's also a good choice. I really liked that relationship. There is not a problem of scarcity in this book. There are a lot of great women. And a horse. If you don't like the horse, we can't be friends.
1: <laughs> True.
0: Did you find the romance part compelling?
1: Can I first talk about how I felt about this novel? I mean, and you then, can,
0: and then, and yes, you can talk about how you felt, and then I'll go. And then
1: we will eventually. I'll get to the romance. I found the writing, the prose, beautiful, gorgeous, even. It's the type of writing that I love. It's very like evolving, It's very seductive. It was very engaging. I love the themes that the novel had about agency, about memory, about relationships with people. All of the things that you said about her and the other women in the book are true. There's a relationship with her sister, with her mothers in, within um, the heron, the relationship with her father even too, with the horse and with the, with the villain of the piece. There is a relationship there too. Everything is rooted on a type of story that I am not very much into. There is one theme that is the foundation of this story. I'm not going to go into it because I think the book needs, deserves to be read without being spoiled. And I'm usually not very fond of that. And that feeds heavily into the romantic side of the novel. We see what they are supposed to feel, but we don't see it developing a lot. The romance was my least favourite part of the novel, between her and her husband because of their mysterious aspect. And I think it was underdeveloped. I wish I had seen more scenes between the two of them. With that said, even though it's an important side of the novel, it's not all there is to it. It's not all there is to her character. It's a little bit motivational. It motivates her to move forward in certain ways, but it's not all there is to it. I cared a little bit about it because it was, at the end of the day, it was a beautiful romance. It was a beautiful relationship, I thought. But because of that other thing, I'm being very cryptic here, I'm sorry, that thing kind of like shadowed it for me. But everything else about the novel is superb. I loved it so much. The romance was such a small side of it. I know that there will be people reading and thinking that romance is, is one of the main aspects of the novel. And in a way it is. And I know I'm just like going around in circles saying the same thing and taking things back. But her arc was so incredible. It kind of really reminded me of The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N.K. Jemisin.
0: That's a really good comparison.
1: I was reading this book and was like, oh my god, this gives me such great feelings and great flashbacks to 100,000 Kingdoms.
0: I don't read YA for romance. I know you can, and I know that's a big target for a lot of YA novels. You have to have that central romance. I agree with you that it's motivational. The romance is a large catalyst for what happens to Maya in the novel. But everything else is about her and her relationships with other people other than her husband, even though he's included. But it's also about her learning about herself and coming to terms with her identity in ways that don't involve him at all.
1: Exactly. And her own power, too. It's about power and agency, and that involves everything around her. That's what makes the novel so rich, because it's threaded. It's like a mosaic, But everything is interconnected and not one thing is more important than others.
0: This book makes a big deal about choices. There's choices at every big turn of this novel. When Maya first gets to her new kingdom, you know, she's faced with lots of choices about who she trusts, and her husband gives her several choices that were sort of heartbreaking. And as the novel continues, that thread of choice, and that's the greatest pun I've ever made, runs throughout the whole novel. Like, what what, what way do you choose? Which way do you go? So on one hand, that's a really big reason the romance didn't interest me as much, because it feels like that choice isn't really there. hmm And so I came around to it in the end.
1: I did too, because it was framed in a way towards the end, in which... There might be an element of inevitability, but there is a choice there nonetheless. And she, the way that she approaches it, and she's very clear about what she wants to do, who she wants to be, and how she wants to feel, they I think make it good for me. We're just going around in circles, trying to avoid the actual conversation that we are having. <laughs> it's hilarious.
0: But so at this point, if you don't want to be spoiler for this novel, head of the next segment.
1: I'm not hugely fond of reincarnation stories that have to do with love. Because you can't you can't know whether she would fall in love with him without knowing that she had already fallen in love with him. The fact that she doesn't recover all of her memories from previous lives, and maybe the fact that she had already started falling for him, but that's the problem, you see, because the, the, the beginning of the novel is so... The, don't spend a lot of time together you don't get to know him that well and i don't understand why she would start falling in love with him the way that she did Cause so they, i feel
0: because they fucked a lot i guess like i don't
1: no they didn't they have they didn't have sex at all in this novel
0: what do you mean they didn't what that's not the reading i took away from it <laughs>
1: they did not have sex at all in this novel
0: are you sure yeah how sure are you
1: i am 1000 percent sure
0: i'm real dubious
1: they had sex in their previous life, in her previous life, but not in this life. This life, she still a 16, 17 year old girl who doesn't know anything about life. The moment that they marry, uh, she puts cushions between them in bed, and they, they never get around to actually having sex. Uh, okay.
0: Well, that's one way to read it, sure. Uh, I'm obviously going to disagree with you on this point. Because I, I, really I think they were, sure. I think I am 100% convinced that they were totally bony. Oh, they were so not bony. This is a
1: YA novel. They were not bony.
0: I can read between the lines. Listen, I'm real good at that.
1: I. They were so not bony.
0: I really want to take a poll about people who that, read this book. There was a lot
1: of, oh, I put my head on his chest and he, he kissed me beautifully. That's very YA. I'm sure they didn't have sex. I can ask Roshani.
0: That's cheating. You can't. The author is dead. Her, the her author opinion. is dead. That, okay,
1: that's fine. The author is dead. They did not have sex. In her, this novel.
0: her opinion does not count at
1: this point. Maybe Maybe I'm too used to YA novels and fantasy novels. Most of them just don't have sex in them. They are very PG.
0: Well, I'm not saying the, the sex was in the book. I'm just saying they had sex and the book glossed over it.
1: I know. I know. I understand that. I'm saying that it's part of the course with Aya, yet the characters wouldn't have had sex because reasons that nobody knows. But I think the fact that... No, they definitely did not have sex.
0: I, no, I totally disagree with you. They totally do
1: <laughs> So our disagreements have already started in the first segment. <laughs> they, Who
0: they, they were they were, they were, fucking like bunnies. <laughs>
1: Oh, they were so not fucking like bunnies. She was just like, oh, I don't know you, dude.
0: No, toward the end there, I was, I'm convinced that that's exactly why. No, then they had a fight. I'm convinced. And then, she, that, and then I'm convinced. Like, I can
1: not trust you anymore. You I'm betrayed conv- me. And then he lost his memory. And then she regained her memory. And then she had to go after him. And in the end, even the very end, when they reconcile, get back together, they just like stay there kissing and hugging.
0: I am convinced that that's why the betrayal was so bad because she fucked him.
1: Oh no! Man. And like, the,
0: even the castle was like, "I know the monster in your bed." That works on oh, two it, levels. They were
1: sleeping together. It works I...
0: on t- it works on two levels. I don't care whether it's a YA novel or like I read plenty of novels when I was a kid who were aimed at like girls my age, and it was all like, "Oh, this is super chase," and then it would like do like a little kind of hint, hint, nudge, nudge, fade to black. And I would be like, okay, sure, they're fucking.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty convinced that they did not have sex. I think this is going to happen in the second book.
0: The second book isn't about her. What? The second book is about her sister.
1: <gasps> I you know? didn't know. I thought the second... That's awesome. But, oh my God, I was so hoping for the sex book, the second book for the sex scene. No. Oh, God fucking damn it.
0: You, so somebody needs to write Anna some fic <laughs> 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 for this book. About Maya and Amar, where they fuck a lot. <laughs> Let us know if you're up for it, because she apparently really, really needs it. Maybe you could, maybe you can email Roshani about that. P.S. Could you write like book 1.5 where they fuck like bunnies?
1: Didn't Kate Elliot did that with? Yes, the... she did.
0: I have a I have a signed copy of that. I
1: haven't I haven't read the Code Magic books, but I did read the in between story where they fuck like bunnies. <laughs>
0: It was real good for me. So, yeah, that's great.
1: Oh, I didn't know. That's fantastic. I love that. I loved her sister. I really want to know what happened to her. And, oh, man.
0: I'm super excited because I have a feeling that if it's about her sister, then Maya might show back up.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: As a cameo, because obviously her sister. Since Maya showed up in Jerry's life, you know, after everything, um. Suspicious about whether it'll happen again in the second book where she shows up again to guide her along. Mm-hmm. Even though you, you know you have whatever, how many multiple lives, obviously Gary is still important to her.
1: Of course, because at the moment she's Maya. She mm-hmm. doesn't have her full memories from her past life. So at the moment she's Maya and she's living that life. So she loves her sisters, she loves Amar, she loves her kingdom. But anyway, I thought this book may be my favorite book of the year so far. It's what, just exactly the type of fiction that I love to read, Renee.
0: I, which is really funny, because when I suggested you read it with me for the podcast, you're like, but what if I hate it? What if it's... What if I don't like it? It'll be so yeah. terrible. Uh, yeah, you can never live that one down, ever. I know. Uh, From what if I hate it to this is my favorite book of the year. Yeah, okay, I loved Anna. it. I really I knew really you it would.
1: Because- it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a it's fairy kind...
0: tale. It's a fairy tale. You it fucking is. love fairy tales. You can't mm-hmm. get enough of them. I know this about you. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm just like, okay, it's a fairy tale. I'll go with that.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's a fairy tale that has to do with memory and agency, identity. These are all tropes that I like to read about.
0: You know, another book that I would consider similar to this, along those lines, is Bone Gap. Yes, true. On the like memory and identity aspects. Yeah.
1: And how do you perceive things differently depending on your point of view?
0: I would put this in like a reader pack with Bone Gap and The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms. It would be perfect. It's like a perfect three book. Yeah. Effecta. So tell us about the horse. Oh, God, Kamala. Oh, this horse. <laughs> this carnivorous horse that Maya meets and makes a deal with to help her. She was like, help me. And then at the very end, I'll get you a, soul, a, a new soul. And if I can't get you a new soul, I'll let you take like two bites of me. <laughs> This horse is so fucking snarky. It's so
1: good. She's fantastic. And they become such good friends, Renee. I I loved it.
0: Every time this horse opened her mouth, I was like, oh, God, it's me. It's a carnivorous supernatural horse. (laughs) This would be what I would be like. It was perfect.
1: And, you know, it's all based on Indian mythology and Indian stories, too. But I don't know which ones. I might actually invite Roshani to write inspirations and influences because that would be your perfect book for that feature. Because I need to know more. I want to know where the ideas come from, where, what are those stories. I loved it. I would give it five space bees.
0: I would give it four space bees. <gasps> yeah, I know. I know. Anna, we're talking about me here. Fairy tale. Het mm-hmm. romance. It's not commentary on the book. It's commentary on me. Space bees reflect their princesses.
1: We should have the hell on a t-shirt and a mug and then sell it and make money.
0: (laughs) To like the four people who would buy them? Okay.
1: Still four people. But you know, four people can turn into eight, can turn into 16, can multiply like space bees.
0: So you're saying that you believe that space bees fuck a lot, but these characters in this book didn't? Correct. I'm never letting this go. was the 1989 sequel to the first Lightning Strike Ghostbusters in 1984 that takes place five years after the Ghostbusters saved New York City from Gozer. Let's just start early. Let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. How many space feeds are you giving this movie? Zero. Oh my
1: god. (laughs) How many do you give it? If you give it more than three, this is really the moment where we will have to have a serious conversation.
0: Yeah, I'm giving this movie 3 space bees. Okay. What's happening?
1: That's fine. If there had been 4 or 5 space bees, then we would have to have a serious conversation. 3 I can live with, but I just don't understand it. <laughs> Why? Why are you giving this
0: crap? I love it. It's so it's so good for me.
1: Why? It's the same it's the same movie as the first one, which we both
0: hated. Didn't we? I mean, I didn't like the first one at all, but I liked the second one a whole bunch. So, but why? They are the same movie, Renee. That's my problem with it. I don't think it's the same movie at all. This is this is the one I saw first, but I don't think they're the same movie at all. I think this one's much better. So, you know how you talked about in the first movie where you didn't feel that these people were a team? Yeah. Like you didn't feel the friendship between them mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. This movie has that. Nah. Them working together, them like using science, them backing each other up, like all that is here. I mean, come on. They hopped into a river of slime after Winston. They're, they're buds. They're pals. And I like how they immediately go and help Dana when she asks for help. Peter's still an asshole. I still don't like him. I oh my him. god,
1: I hate him. I loathe
0: him. Like, I am like, I just kept going, Dana, take your baby away from this man. Take him away. Oh
1: my god. But we already it,
0: knew it was going to happen, so whatever. But she,
1: she was mooning over him the entire movie. Like, she managed to get away from him. But then she's just back. And she's mooning all over him. And there is this one particular scene when they are at the restaurant having a date.
0: Oh, God. You can tell a dude wrote that.
1: And she's like, you are the kindest, most amazing man, most thoughtful person. And I'm like, where? Where is this person? (laughs) This person that you just described has not appeared in this movie or the first movie at all. Whatsoever. No.
0: Go home, Sigourney <laughs> Weaver. You were drunk. Yeah, you can tell a dude wrote this movie. Dan Ekroyd and Harold Ramus, I think, wrote this one. It
1: was just so bad. Do you know what made me even angrier about oh, no. it? Oh, it's just the fact that the first movie, Dana was a violinist, I think, at the New York Orchestra. Do you know what it takes to be a member of a prestigious orchestra and play for it it takes a lot of time playing a lot of dedication and it's an amazing career and it's fantastic that she was that in the second movie all of a sudden she's working at another prestigious place new york museum of art restoring paintings do you know how much work training goes into that the fact That they wrote this character as having these two professions that require so much training as though they are interchangeable because they just needed to use her somehow. Just made me so angry. Just made me so angry that they couldn't think of a storyline for her keeping her as the first profession that she had. I just... I I can't. I don't understand this. And then, of course, they bring her back with the baby and then the baby's the one that is taken, and she needs to be saved, and he needs to be saved again.
0: And it's the same story as the first movie, Renee. I don't Whoa. know what you expect from '80s movies, Anna. I really don't. I don't know what you're expecting here. This is not Alien.
1: Labyrinth. I was expecting Labyrinth. Uh, Alien. Aliens from 1989 too. I
0: Alien 19- was. I thought. I thought Alien was '86. It was after the first movie. Anyway, I don't know what you're expecting from movies. Like written, produced and directed by dudes. Like I Better. have a real I have a really low bar. Like my reaction to her being good at art restoration, uh, was oh cool. She's good at two things. Not, oh cool. They just gave her another I mean, part of
1: me likes that about it too.
0: Because she's obviously still playing music. She still has her cello. She's still but it's two though. I mean what? A woman can only have one thing no, that she's really, they, really good just... at
1: It just, to me, it sounds as though they didn't put
0: a lot of thought into it. Well, Anna, their movies... Because she
1: seems to be so dedicated to these two professions. It takes so much out of you. I find it really hard to believe that someone would have
0: those two particular professions at the same time. Anna, that she doesn't. She's only doing one of them right now. Uh, Mm. Also, this movie is called Ghostbusters. (laughs) In case you uh, forgot (laughs) what we were watching and critiquing.
1: Uh, Gateway taken.
0: I mean, I see what you're saying. Yes, they probably didn't think it through. They just needed to have her work at an art museum. Yeah. So, but on the plus side, they at least explained it in narrative. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it. They actually gave her like <laughs> a backstory. I also like that a lot of the characters in this movie are deeper. You see more of them, and you see more of their personalities. Like, you see more... Like, Janine gets... Uh, like, she gets to be great. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, was... True. And Louis, even though he's still kind of a creep, he gets to be great. And they brought Slimer back and actually gave him... I
1: think. I think we have different definitions of greatness. I
0: think we also... Apparently (laughs) do all my nostalgia for Ghostbusters is is rooted in this film. Is
1: it so? It's this one for you. It's this
0: one for me. Like I can see all the flaws, but I just up until like the very end where they like launch the Statue of Liberty into town. Oh my god! I
1: forgot about that
0: into town. I'm just like I was. I'm just totally on board with it because I feel like it's that it's it's shot better. There's better characterization. The film on a whole. It just feels tighter and more cohesive as a world like a, in the world building and like all the big moments that they happen like they're all like connected and in, in really tightly i know it's not a great movie but mm. it's great
1: yeah i don't think this these two movies are for me i don't think yeah no yeah. the first one's definitely not i really can't describe how much i hate peter venkman
0: I loved I loved Winston in this movie. I loved him in the Ghost Train. Sorry, I missed it <laughs> when Egon asked him if he got the train oh, number. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I'm... the statue,
1: the Statue of Liberty thing, is something that is so it's so stupid, it's so
0: dumb, it's the dumbest okay. <laughs> resolution to the. Why didn't he just get a crane? Really? Oh, because,
1: because America, Renee.
0: They needed to gather good feelings and that was the way it, I'm like oh Statue boy Statue
1: of Liberty
0: Oh it was so gross That's like, so
1: alien to me but whatever you know
0: And Slimer got to have a role Slimer I gave him a name finally
1: But still he's not into it He's not in the movie as much as I thought
0: He's there twice that's all we get It looks like it's like a nod.
1: Exactly. So he was much more present in the comics, right? He was part of the team in the comics. And in the cartoons, sorry, not
0: the comics. The real Ghostbusters.
1: Yeah. Because I remember being a child, really liking him. But he's not in the movies that much. Where does that come from? The cartoon. But I don't remember watching the cartoon. That's the conundrum.
0: So I really liked... When they slimed the guy, the evil guy, they slimed him. That guy was so gross. Mm. Here's the thing that I think think this movie did that the last movie didn't. It acknowledged that some guys were creepers. Not all guys, because it totally missed Peter. So good job, mm-hmm. movie, for failing at that. But he's your main character, so what are you going to do? But it also acknowledged that women put up with a lot of unwanted male attention and how awkward it is and awful. The narrative actually acknowledges it.
1: Well, I guess that warrants like half a space bee. Don't kill
0: a space bee for this, Anna! Stop killing space bees! So, the thing that I did not like about this movie is that they gave, they made Peter McNichol do this really terrible accent this entire movie. (sighs) This movie hit my embarrassment squick way more this time. Because I'm just like, every time he opened his mouth.
1: Eastern European accent just so stereotypically bad.
0: The only line he had that I like was like why am I dripping with goo? Uh, because you were possessed.
1: No, it's so bad.
0: It's so bad but so much fun.
1: I know I kinda find this was boring too. I'm sorry, Renee.
0: It's okay. I'm I'm
1: rainy on your parade.
0: I can still have a parade even without you. I'm over here with my listen, there was a fucking pink slime in New York. <laughs> <laughs> and it made and it made toasters dance.
1: What is the song that they sung to the um, to the toaster? That
0: was a cool scene, actually. I'm not sure what the song was in that one. I do know that there, Bobby Brown wrote a song for the movie, I guess, or he sung it. But it was like my favorite song for like a year. <laughs> With these great <gray, laughs> lyrics. There is this rap uh, in the song where... They the, where Bobby Brown sings, they found out about Vigo, the master of evil, Try to battle my boys. That's not legal. That line. And I'm like, this is why I love rap so much. Because it's it works on two levels. It like, works in the rap, but it also works to reference the courtroom scene where the slime reacts to the angry, yelling judge and spits out two ghosts of two people that he put in an electric chair and then he has to have a ghostbuster to save him. And I'm like, this is the greatest. No. <laughs> I think a lot of a lot of my nostalgia comes from music, because I loved so much of the music in these movies. Like, in the the Ghostbusters 84, it was the Mick Smiley song that plays after the EPA shuts off the grid and all the ghosts escape. And then in this one, it's, you know, Bobby Brown uh, on our own. So I think a lot of my nostalgia is, like, rooted in songs that I took away from the films and imprinted on. So when I hear the song, I get all these positive feelings. And they're playing during the movie. So you don't have that. You don't want music.
1: Well, I care about certain songs. I mean, you, you're talking about this. I'm remembering, I'm thinking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is a major 80s movie. Because of course, you have the, the soundtrack of that movie. And especially the scene with Ferris um, singing the Beatles. That was actually the first time that I heard a Beatles song, Twist and Shout. That was the first time when I realized that there was a thing called The Beatles, was with that movie. And thinking about it today, I wonder how I would feel about watching Ferris Bueller Day Off. Because it's likely that I would feel that it's all about white privilege, white male privilege, isn't it? Because he gets away with everything. And he's terrible to his friends and to his sister. no. Let's not talk about this.
0: Just let, let it exist in your mind as a, the perfect cultural object that it was at the time. Don't go back.
1: Yeah, but then, you see, I'm glad that I watched Ghostbusters, and I can just let it go. Maybe it's time to, to let Ferris Bueller's Day Off go.
0: You'd have to rewatch it for that, though.
1: Can we watch it for the podcast? Oh my
0: god, yes, I guess we can.
1: Yes, I'm writing it down right now. You <laughs> did this on purpose. You walked right into it. I sure did. But then Ghostbusters, yes. I'm, I'm very glad that we, we did this and we watched it. It's important to reassess one's memories and one's feelings about one's own childhood and misplaced.
0: I do not think my yep. pleasure in this movie is misplaced. I, I still think that Ghostbusters 2 is a superior movie to Ghostbusters 1.
1: I think they're both shit.
0: We can all be wrong sometimes. and Devil Dinosaur Volume 1 is by Amy Reeder and Brandon Montclair with art by Natasha Bustos. It tells the story of Lunella Lafayette who is looking for a cure for her inhuman genes so she can avoid turning into an inhuman because of the Terrigen mist floating around her city. Anna, this comic is really cute. I really like it. It's super cute.
1: We talked about when we were talking about the Star Touch Queen, You mentioned two other novels that you felt were like a perfect combo to read together. This would be perfect with uh, Squirrel Girl and Lumberjanes. Did you know that Devil Dinosaur used to be a comic in the 70s?
0: No, I did not. I knew nothing about these characters until this comic was announced.
1: Me neither. So today I was writing a review and I was like, let me just double check something. So Devil Dinosaur was the name of the comic, actually. It was his name or her name. We don't know, right? We don't know the gender of the dinosaur. Could be anything.
0: I think they're, he's referred to as he, but who knows?
1: So so Devil Dinosaur had their... Had, his own comics in the 70s and then he had adventures with moon boy and then right at the beginning of the first issue of moon girl moon boy dies and devil dinosaur then is all by himself and he comes to our times from the past a past by the way in which humans and dinosaurs together
0: precursors to humans yeah that still did not happen. I mean, yes, so- I know, but this is <laughs> comics. It's fine. It is
1: an alternate reality. I understand that. I can. I can. I will buy into it. Okay, fine. So he comes, and he's very lonely. This poor dinosaur, and it's so cute how he becomes friends with Lunella, and there are so many amazing scenes with him being all sad and lonely and unfriendly and everybody's just so scared of him and he has fire coming out of his eyes. This is such a cool comic.
0: The comic is about Lunella and how she partners up with Devil Dinosaur, but it's also about how young she is, how frustrated she is about the adults and people around her who just won't listen to her. Her frustration about her lack of agency and... At the very beginning, we see that she's trying to apply to like better schools. So we already know from the very, very beginning of the comic that she's super intellectually frustrated where she is. She doesn't feel like she's being challenged.
1: Yeah, or nurtured, even.
0: Her parents don't seem to grok her. They just want her to be normal.
1: And they obviously love her and are very protective of her, but they just don't get her.
0: It's not like, oh, my parents are super abusive and mean. It's just a really... It's just a miscommunication thing where they are just not sure who she is and who she's becoming. The fact that she has the inhuman gene is really stressing her out. And so she's filling the trope of, you know, the genius loner kid and who invents cool gadgets and doesn't need anybody, doesn't need help, doesn't need anybody to support her, even though she does. But, I mean, she's got to go through that for herself first. And we see her butt up against authority over and over and over she butts up against her parents she butts up against the hulk who by the way in this comic is a total dick
1: yes but also a different person
0: yeah they've rebooted it so many times it's some it's amadeus amadeus cho now is the hulk i don't what what the fuck i was like who? what, how, is, what? there's a there's a they've rebooted it i think his comic is totally awesome hulk Yay. Which is which is neat. I think it's neat that somebody else is a hulk now, but I haven't read his comic, so I don't know anything about him. All I know in this comic that he was like literally written to be a total dickbag.
1: Yeah, not listening to her, not listening to what was happening, not paying attention, just like following a mission to protect people without understanding what he was doing. And that was something that she faced all the time. Again, I'm going back to our first segment where we talked about agency and about identity. And, and I feel that this is at the very core of Moon Girl too, because that's exactly what she's striving for, to have agency and to understand who she is. And the fact that she doesn't want to become an inhuman is that she's so fearful that she's going to lose herself. And that's really cool because in the middle of all of it, you have this really cute middle grade comic, but it's not some it's not a comic that it's superficial. It has depth and I love this about it.
0: We see her try to eventually fit in and struggle to give people what they want from her, which is to be normal. She tries, but inevitably her secret gets out. I mean, I think that was my biggest complaint about this volume specifically is that she and her mom eventually come to, like, have a conversation about the stuff that she's doing. She's nine years old, right? Yeah. She tells her very worried mom, hey, listen, this is how it's going to be. And then she just leaves. And, like, she never, there's not really a ton of resolution between her and her parents. I wish there had been more in this volume. I'm like, I really, I mean, yes, you're a tiny, tiny superhero and you're very smart, but you're also a child. I'm a little worried for you. And it's, and you you know, you're right to be worried because this comic ends on a pretty drastic cliffhanger.
1: It does. I was so angry at this cliffhanger that that's where they left us. So, have you read further?
0: I read six and seven together.
1: Care to spoil No, no,
0: I'm not spoiling it for you. (sighs) Oh, man. Nice try. Let's try.
1: You were being so horrible to me today. Have you realized that? I'm not
0: being horrible. I love you a lot.
1: When you when you when you edit this podcast, you will realize how you were being so horrible to me. Oh no! You you liked Ghostbusters too. <laughs> you were like disagreeing with me on sexual stuff, and now you refuse to share a spoiler with me.
0: You gotta read it for yourself.
1: I'll never forget.
0: Okay, the real story of this volume is Lunella and Devil Dinosaur becoming pals, partners, partners. It's their origin story. Because juggling a really interesting cultural critique, I thought because the killer folk who come from the past chasing Devil, like chasing this little object that Lunella finds and, and that accidentally like, gets turned on and Devonosaur follows them, they come and they assimilate by watching everybody else and they basically internalize that you can be a super gross bully and get ahead.
1: That's a really great point, actually. I didn't, I didn't think about it like that. But you were right.
0: Well, the comic shows them at the very beginning how they watch people and what they're yeah. doing and how they exchange money for stuff. Then they meet Uh, a group of people who, which I guess you could classify as a gang, like they're a group of people in this neighborhood, and the the killer folk, like, scare them off. The way that I took it is that the neighborhood that Lunella lives in was actually pretty safe and nice before the killer folk arrived and, and, like, scared off the other, I guess, gangs, quote-unquote, around there. And then the neighborhood got really scary, because the killer folk were scary.
1: For me, the interesting thing about the killer folk is that they were technically, basically cavemen, which we are used to thinking as unintelligent. And it's clearly in this storyline that no, they were actually intelligent and able to adapt and evolve and change and use the environment to their advantage. So when was this published? It was just now, wasn't it? It just in, came
0: out. In July. July 5th. In July, yeah. That's first comic... Since it ends on a cliffhanger, I don't really know what to tell people. I want to tell people <laughs> to read it because I think it's super cute. And Lunella is a super smart kid. And she creates some really, really neat inventions. And I think it's super cool to see like a kid inventor that's a girl. A black girl. Yeah, absolutely. Because that kid inventor trope is often given mostly to white boys. And I love to see that trope just given to them. Just, just given. Uh, she's a great inventor. The narrative kind of shows that people don't expect that from girls. And so they want her just to be normal. But it doesn't buy into the to the people around her wanting that for her. I would give this four space bees.
1: Me too. I really liked it.
0: Yeah, me too. I mean, I've been pulling it since the beginning.
1: Yeah, I read the first issue on its own. And then I didn't carry on immediately. I really think that it's better... When you read it as a complete arc, like it is right now.
0: I think we're both becoming those comic readers who think everything is better in completed arcs. I don't think that we are becoming
1: that. I think that's the type of readers that we are for everything. Like, I had had to wait until The Raven King came out to be able to read the entire series. Okay, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I much prefer to read series as they are completed, unless it's NK Jemson and unlucky <laughs> that I bought. Wait, but most things I prefer it to have complete arcs. This is why the whole Netflix releases episodes in one go thing—the best thing that has
0: ever happened to me. Well, I'm glad that at least one form of media is catering to your whims. You can actually read the first two issues of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur if you have Marvel Unlimited, because the first two issues are up on Marvel Unlimited right now. And the trade, if you're okay with terrible cliffhangers, is out now from Marvel Comics. Okay, Anna, what are you reckoning this week?
1: Something a little bit different. You all know that I have been struggling with this autoimmune disorder thing that I have right now. And one of the things that I find has been helping me is to take greater care with what I eat and how I cook. And I am mostly vegan. Uh, I was already before I had this thing, but now I am seeing a nutritionist and we are putting things together, putting a diet together, a way of eating that is specific to the autoimmune disease. And one of the websites that I found lately that has really great recipes and really great tips for cooking uh, a whole foods healthy diet is a website called deliciouslyella.com I love her I love her recipes I actually have her two books too and I've tried a bunch of the recipes and they are really really good so if you are into cooking and if you are vegetarian or vegan or you're eating or into eating healthily just take a look at deliciouslyella what about you what do you have to recommend to us today
0: I have two wrecks,
1: Renee, you
0: are the worst this podcast. <laughs> the worst, huh? So my first wreck is for a cookie, huh. which you can't eat. I'm sorry. <laughs> so Panera, the place I go, the little sandwich place I go to write and work, had this cookie a while ago called a chocolate duet cookie. They made a version of it where there was two cookies with chocolate filling and they were jammed together. But I just left the cookie. It's like a double chocolate chip cookie with cocoa powder and chocolate chips and white chocolate chips and walnuts. And it's delicious. If, you know, you're not vegan. I really want one though. I don't have any.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's super good. My second rec is a fanfic called You Touch Me Within. And so I know I could be human once again by not say salopard. I believe, I'm sorry if I mangled your username. It is a Sam Bucky story twist. If you watched Captain America Civil War, you know that the dynamic between Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes was hilarious. Of course, my friend Rose predicted this like 2 years ago. She was very very prescient. It's about 12,000 words long and it's a story where Bucky is actually a werewolf. <laughs>
1: Of all the things that I was expecting you to say, I was not expecting that.
0: Yep, it's an AU where he's a werewolf and Hydra used him as like a supernatural weapon. The whole story is about him and trying to deal with being a werewolf. Him wearing great flannel shirts and him and Sam joking around with each other until the jokes become fraught and hot and then they and then they bone. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good for me. It's a really good story. So- now... Is this
1: an alpha or an omega story? It's neither.
0: Not really. I mean, it has kind of Dom sub things in it because there's like a joke with a collar. It's just a werewolf AU. A werewolf?
1: I really did not see that coming. Well,
0: I'm glad I can still surprise you. So, anyway, if you like Sam Bucky stories, uh, I highly recommend that. Especially if you like like soft bro Bucky Barnes because that's totally what this is. Highly recommend it. I know we made it to the end of another podcast. We made it. Thank you so much for recording with me.
1: Thank you so much for being so awesome despite some dubious uh, moments throughout this one episode.
0: It's okay, I know you I know you still love me, even of though course. I have wrong opinions. Our music this week is by Boxcat Games, broke for free with instrumentals by Chuki Music.
1: And our show, Excellent Art, is by ERA. You can commission them on, your, on Tumblr at justeuro.tumblr.com. Or you can ping them on Twitter at ju- It's Just ERA.
0: And if you love us a lot, we would really appreciate it if you would drop by iTunes and leave us a great review telling the world how awesome we are.
1: If you want to follow more of our adventures during the week, you can catch us on Twitter at Fangirl Podcast.
0: I'm on Twitter at Renee.
1: And I am at Book Smugglers.
0: And as always, Space Bees, thanks so much for listening.
1: Bye! Bye!